Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In a hidden safe house in the Ghanaian forest, social workers help two children recover from a childhood enslaved to fishermen on Lake Volta the largest man-made lake on Earth. But their story takes an unexpected turn when their rescuers embark on another rescue mission and ask the children for help. The film is called The Rescue List. It's going to be premiering on the POV, the PBS series, um, on March 23rd coming up. And it is a remarkable documentary about these children and about the circumstances and so much more very loving documentary about what is a horrible subject, trafficking of children. And we're joined today by the co-directors of the film, The Rescue List, and that would be Alyssa Fidelli and Zachary Fink. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much for having having us. I'm going to start with you, Alyssa, and, and ask you how you came to this story. Where did the... Where did you find a way in to tell the story of these children and trafficking and so much more. So this, back in 2015, my co-director, Zach, actually met the founder of uh, the rescue organization, a man named James Kofi Annan. Um, he's a Ghanaian man who was trafficked himself into slavery at the age of six. He survived seven years enslaved to fishermen on Lake Volta and managed to run away. He returned home at the age of 13 and actually befriended kindergartners to teach himself to read. And he had this insatiable thirst for knowledge and a desire for education. So he managed to put himself through school, went to college and became a a bank manager as an adult, but felt a calling to return to his home community and help um, other children who were still being trafficked to the lake. So Zach actually met James when he was here in California doing some fundraising work for the rescue organization. And he called me up after meeting James and told me the story. And I I was in disbelief. Um, I think a lot of us here in America think about trafficking and modern slavery in in specific terms that don't necessarily encompass the type of slavery that we see on Lake Volta, where children are being trafficked to work for fishermen. But as we started to do the research, we realized how prevalent this is around the world. There are actually 45 million people living in modern slavery worldwide, and one in four is a child. And so immediately the story just gripped us because of the, the lack of attention to this human rights issue. Mm-hmm. And that was really what set us off on the path of making the film. Well, Zach Fink, uh, l- tell us a little bit ab- about James, uh, just in terms of his, his determination or what his, he sounds like a, an extremely inspiring person. Tell us a little he bit is. more about him. He is. James is an extremely inspiring person. And in addition to running this rescue organization and a rehabilitation shelter, he has, uh, you know, a number of different 
kind of arms of the organization in Ghana that help support the communities, educate the source communities where these children are coming from, uh, working with women who are mothers, often single mothers that are often um, targeted for trafficking to help women kind of start their own businesses and uh, gain some sort of financial fiscal independence. When we first went to Ghana um, a number of years ago, we really wanted to follow James around, working with James as a main character, uh, you know, in this kind of very nascent film idea that we had about a a documentary about human trafficking. Um, Alyssa and I both have backgrounds in visual anthropology and ethnography, and our roots are very much in, you know, verite documentary filmmaking or observational documentary filmmaking more specifically. Um, and when we got down to Ghana, James introduced us around to, uh, you know, various leaders of various departments in this rescue organization. And while we, while James's story is amazing, and he is certainly the inspiration for the film The Rescue List, it became pretty apparent pretty quickly that we really wanted to make an observational film about the children from the children's point of view. And even though James was the inspiration, as a character, he didn't necessarily play into the film because he wasn't doing the work that had set him on this path, you know, 10, 15 years ago, which was actually rescuing children. Mm. So we worked with James kind of in collaboration to um, have us introduced around in the shelter and meet all the social workers and the staff there. And, uh, we, you know, the film kind of started to fall into place when we started working with the kids the social workers, and the rescuers. All right. Well, we meet Kwame at the very beginning of the film on a boat traveling across Lake Volta, which, by the way, thank you for the information about Lake Volta being the largest, essentially, man-made lake in the world. Is that factually correct? Am I saying that right? Yeah, And in the, in the country of Ghana, and how, uh, how he in a very low-key sort of way, is is looking on the lookout for children who are likely candidates to have been trafficked, doing this very labor-intensive and dangerous work of pulling the nets out of this lake, fishing the, the out of this uh, lake. So meeting Kwame is a wonderful introduction into what the story will eventually evolve into, and his laid back, very kind of engaging manner is, again, he's, a, he's just a wonderful entry point into this. Tell me a little bit about developing your relationship with Kwame. Alyssa, why don't you start us off? As I said, we, um, James introduced us around to various members in the organization. And when we met Kwame, he was leading the, the rescue team, so of course we were interested in working with him. And I think at first, you know, Kwame was a bit skeptical because he anticipated, you know, what a, what a burden having two filmmakers follow him on the lake on a rescue mission might be. He definitely tested us in terms of opening up. It took a while, and we, we spent a lot of time with Kwame and explained our process, you know, making a film observationally requires a lot of time filming in the field. And so we needed to, to make sure that he understood how much time we would really need to spend with him. And, um, you know, he warmed up to us pretty quickly after that. Um, and, you know, we, we had some, some fun despite 
the the challenges in the field as well. But because Kwame had been trafficked as a child, his approach on the lake is is very deft, as, as you observed. Um, he he knows how to approach the children and the fishermen in a way where he can get the information that he needs and also negotiate for the release of, of children. And I think that his own personal experience on the lake was, is something that really gives him the ability to, to work so effectively. Yeah. Zach, something that struck me in those moments when we're on the boat with Kwame, to me it feels like an inherently dangerous thing that he's doing, something that uh, you would think that there is an investment in these children, they're producing for no money. There's a lot of economic factors that come into why someone would be very uh, adverse to allowing you or Kwame to take them from them. And I, it, it's somewhat in the manner of what Kwame has, he comes across in the film, he's non-threatening, but what was the level of danger uh, what is the level of danger for Kwame and in some ways for you to be in that situation when you're when you're out there? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think the level of danger varies, uh, you know, by the situation. And Kwame was really, really skilled at kind of assessing that and, um, you know, keeping safe distances and communication lines flowing between him and, you know, the traffickers or slave masters. You know, one thing to to note is that the modern slavery on Lake Volta looks very different than our kind of mental image of chattel slavery from 150 years ago. These are um, not people that are bought and sold on the open market, nor is anybody, you know, chained up. Um, this, this looks a little bit different. It is more subtle, um, but it is most definitely slavery in its modern form. I would say... You know, we we didn't see, you know, slave masters carrying uh, whips or guns or anything of that nature. It's a little bit more of a, of a subtle form of control than that in modern slavery. Certainly our senses were always, uh, you know, turned on when we were on these rescue missions with Kwame. We were always aware of our surroundings, looking out for each other. And because of the experience of the rescue team, you know, they were also always looking out um, for themselves, but also everybody else on the on the boats, inc- including us. So we were definitely aware of what was going around on around us, but never felt like you know our lives were in peril or there was mortal danger. And one thing that Kwame did that you don't you don't necessarily see in the film, but he as he was approaching different villages, he would he would make us wait on the outside and seek permission before we came in to film. So that, you know, provided a level of safety, but also um, consent to to filming. And that was important to us that we didn't didn't just walk in with the camera rolling. Right. There are actually a number of shots in the film with the rescue team kind of walking away from us towards the village or us filming, you know, into the village from the outside, um, you know, as Kwame is beginning to talk with some of the elders in the community. And those are all moments that, you know, we were waiting out there for his green light to, to enter, that he had gained permission for us. Yeah. 
I do want to talk about the support that he that Kwame has uh, in regard to the the mission. But uh, but before we get to that, I want to remind our listeners that we're talking with the co-directors of this uh, wonderful new documentary film that'll be premiering on PBS, the PO, PBS series POV, on March 23rd, and it will also be streaming if I remember correctly that same day, uh, March 23rd. Is that right? Yep, that's Correct. the day it begins streaming on it'll be streaming POV's on website. POV's website, and that would be Alyssa Fideli and. Zachary Fink. Let's get to the part of the film that gives us hope, okay? I could, I would love to launch into a long discussion about slavery around the world, how this is a moral issue. I thought we had pretty much gotten past, you know, decades ago. We, we're, there's a universal uh, acceptance that slavery is a really bad thing and it should never happen. But that's for another time and another discussion. But it is depressing to realize, just to the numbers that you threw out earlier, that 45 million people are in human human trafficked around the world. And I don't think that that's all the people that are essentially enslaved either. So I think there's even a greater number of those people. So, uh, But I do want to talk about the school. I want to talk about the, the infrastructure that's in place for these kids when they come to this wonderful school. Zachary, talk to us about the school and the support that um, Challenging Heights has to offer for these kids. One of the most amazing factors about this organization that drew us into the project was really that this is a rescue organization and a rehabilitation team that is run by Ghanaians from the community where these children are sourced. Many of the people who work for the organization uh, are formerly trafficked, were formerly trafficked children and are now adults. Amazingly, Kwame, who is now the leader of the rescue team, was one of the very first uh, young boys that James, the the founder of the organization that we discussed earlier, uh, rescued from the lake in the very early days, even before James had founded the organization. Um, so there is this very grassroots feeling to this organization, and the work that they do is incredible. Um, they're bringing uh, kids off the lake 15 to 30 at a time every time that they, that they go up to the lake to do a rescue. They're not really just plucking children off the lake. They are uh, working in the source communities where these children come from, you know, a full day's uh, drive from Lake Volta and talking with mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and grandparents of um, of these children who, in most cases, unwittingly or unknowingly trafficked or sent their children to the lake thinking they were sending them to a better life when that is not the reality that faced them once they arrived there. And so the rescue team is putting together a rescue list, names uh, and data around these kids that they are specifically looking for on the lake. And they, through their network on the lake and through uh, allies in these communities up there, are able to track down specific children, find them, extract them, and bring them, bring them home. But before they bring them home and reintegrate them into their families, they bring them to a shelter. Uh, it's a hidden shelter to protect the children uh, from retaliation or retribution from traffickers or uh, slave masters who might want to, you know, recover them. And they, the kids spend anywhere from six months to a year going through a rehabilitation process with 
social workers who are trained to kind of triage PTSD and, and work with children um, in, in very powerful ways that the film explores. Alyssa, the, the school is, shall we say, basic. Let's put it, that's, that's, that's understating how, in, in terms of resources that the school has for, to teach these, these kids, it's so rudimentary and basic. But yet, you feel, when you're watching the footage of them in classes, that there is this connection that makes up for whatever lack of resources they might have, that their ability to connect with these kids is as beneficial as, you know, um, other uh, uh, an outside piece of technology might be able to provide for them. Now, is that a, am I overstating it? I mean, what was the sort of your impression of that school and the ability to convey what they needed to to these kids? Yeah, I mean, in addition to to the shelter providing therapy and social workers and three square meals a day and a safe place for children to play, there's also, for a lot of children, it's the first opportunity for them to go to school. And I think what's critically important there is that these children are in class with other children who have been withheld from school. So they feel comfortable and safe learning, you know, even though some children may be 13, 14, 15 years old and in kindergarten, there are other children like them in that class. And I think that that is critically important that they they start off their path um, on, you know, to education with other survivors of slavery and children who have been withheld from school. And, you know, the teachers are also exceptionally sensitive to what they've been through. Um, and it's, it's just a very supportive, holistic environment there. Um, you know, the, the kids are, are living together in the bunk rooms and playing together. And as you see in the film, sharing their stories. And I think as we started to make the film and we realized that we needed to lean strongly on our roots in observational filmmaking to tell this story because it didn't feel appropriate to interview the kids, which could potentially re-traumatize them. It led us down this path of observing them and their interactions with the other children there. And that was where you saw sort of the story sharing and healing process that comes from, you know, two kids talking about what happens to them on the lake. It's remarkable to hear them talk to each other and when they interact with a teacher, someone from the school, how bright, not not only intellectually curious they are, but also just the brightness, and I'll call it brightness of their soul. They just seem to be so happy. Uh, and 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 I I'm sure some of it a lot of it is has to do with the fact that they're no longer on Lake Volta, but also just as you described it, the ability to share this common experience with one another and to be able to nurture each other to get to the other side of what they've been through, it just comes through in the film like a big shining light, and it's really a beautiful thing to watch. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad that comes through. That it was something that, you know, when we when we set out to make this film and we would 
tell people about, you know, what we were doing, I think a lot of people responded with horror and aversion to the, the topic because it is it is a difficult thing to to build awareness on. But we kept saying to people, you know, these are kids and they're in a safe place and they have they bounce back so brilliantly and and we were just we were given hope by that yeah. and and we wanted to share that in the film and not just focus on you know the terrible things that they had experienced but the sense of hope that if children are given a, a chance at recovery at childhood experiencing childhood and going to school that they they can recover it's it's not hopeless and um, we really wanted that to come through Alyssa, you've sort of, you've brushed on it, uh, but the question I want to ask, and I'll ask you, Zachary, first, and if, Alyssa, you want to come back into this question, and that is, how has this changed you, not only as, a, you know, as a filmmaking experience, but, Zach, how has this changed you as a person to see this, to be able to be exposed to, you know, the worst elements of human behavior, and then to see these kids in the in this environment and see just what what uh, Alyssa was talking about. How's this, how's this changed you or how's this affected you? I mean, every documentary film that I am shooting or directing or participating in in any way leaves a mark on me, certainly. This film, probably the most of uh, anything that I've ever worked on. Uh, you know, we, we spent essentially the better part of five years either researching, shooting, editing, or working on distribution on this project and our relationships with uh, the children who are now uh, young men uh, over the course of this time and the rescue team have really impacted me personally, emotionally, the way that I see the world. I think that when we started this project, we, um, apart from my connection to James, the founder of the organization, we kind of started digging into the research and came across all these statistics. Um, and in so many instances, in almost every instance, statistics is kind of where, what we were left with, these big, vast numbers that really didn't connect me to the human nature of the problem. And working on this film and meeting these these children at the shelter, I mean, we really focused our lens on three of them, but we met 50 of them at the shelter. And it became very apparent, you know, within the, our first day, you know, kind of working at the shelter, that there's really not a nickel's worth of difference between, you know, any of these kids and any of the other children that we know in our lives back here in America. It's just circumstance. And that fact and that feeling is really what has stuck with me throughout this process and has motivated, I think, both Alyssa and I to continue working to, to tell this story. And, you know, we remain connected to the children in the film and the rescue team and social workers today um, via uh, phone calls and WhatsApps and, 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 you know, text messaging and whatnot. So there's very much a, a strong connection. Alyssa, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a really um, important question, and I think that for me, my experience is similar to Zach. And in addition, this experience has 
reinforced for me the idea that it's important to be aware of human rights issues around the world and outside of our immediate purview or our immediate community, that it's our responsibility as citizens of the world to care about and fight for human rights around the world. You know, the idea that that none of us are truly free unless we're fighting for the freedom of everyone else. This has reinforced the idea that it's up to all of us to lift lift up everyone else and and make sure that um, we care about people who are struggling on on the other side of the world. Thank you so very much for your time today um, and for this film, The Rescue List. Before I let you go, I want to acknowledge uh, uh, some work you've done in the past. Uh, You both worked on The Cleaners, the documentary Cleaners, which I, in my opinion, is criminally underappreciated in terms of what, what I learned from that documentary in terms of the world, the Internet world that we live in. And so I just want to acknowledge that uh, just it gives me an opportunity to mention that documentary again. So congratulations. Is that where you guys met because you both worked on it or did you work before together? We we met um, about 20 years ago, actually, in a documentary film class that was being taught in the anthropology department at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And um, it was being taught by uh, one of our mentors, Lucian Taylor. Um, who made Leviathan and Sweetgrass? Oh my goodness! And Geneva, oh. and so oh, okay. That for me, that was I was a student of anthropology, and that was the the start of my my love and passion for film. And Zach was already was already studying film through through anthropology at, at that point. But that that was where we met, okay. and several okay. years later, we started working together. And several years after that, we were married. Well, congratulations on all counts. So thank you so much for this film, The Rescue List. The film will be premiering on PBS's POV series starting on March 23rd and at 10 o'clock. And I always say check your local listing for the uh, PBS station in your area. And also it will be streaming on that day, March 23rd as well, The Rescue List, to both of you, Alyssa Fidelli and... Zachary Fink, thank you for being here on Film School. And anytime you've got something coming out, feel free to come back on the program. I'd love to have you back. Thank you. Wonderful. So thank much, you Mike. so we much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.